Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome inside another episode of the Gin Jag podcast. We've got a quarter poll episode of the show today. Sorry we weren't able to get together last week. We had some scheduling issues, some crazy things coming up with the houses, uh, you know, emergencies at the home front. The Jaguars, however, are one and three. Apparently they weren't able to get it together last week either. We'll provide a progress report quarter of the way through the season. Take a look back at some observations from the loss to the Bengals and look ahead to a Week 5 AFC South road showdown with the Texans. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jeremy, how are we doing this fine Wednesday? We're doing all right, man. If the Jags uh, were playing a little bit better football, we'd be better. Um, But like you said, all in all, everything's okay. It's time to reflect on the first quarter of the season and uh, kind of figure out where we're going to go from here. Yep. So before we get into the Jaguars talk, there is plenty going on around the league, especially with this COVID-19 stuff popping up. We've got COVID cases uh, in Tennessee rearing their ugly head once again. Now you're seeing an investigation about whether Titans players were gathering to work out away from the facility while the Titans were supposed to be quarantining. Of course, that's against the rules. Titans versus Bills might be in jeopardy now with the Titans not being able to open up their facility yet. Uh, How will the NFL handle the potential for multiple rescheduled games? As I mentioned, there's a report that a group of Titans players were getting together for these workouts away from the facility, which would obviously be a violation of the NFL rules. The Patriots are dealing with a little COVID issues as well with Cam Newton obviously missing the game against the Chiefs. Now they've got Stephon Gilmore, their star corner, coming down with a positive test, and Bill Murray. Not that Bill Murray. He's also come down and is on the COVID list. Then you've got the situation going on with the Raiders. They have Maurice Hurst on the list. And several of their players were out at a Darren Waller charity event, not wearing masks, spotted not wearing masks. Uh, Those guys, a lot of them have been fined. The NFLPA is going to appeal those fines. It appears that it's a mess right now with the COVID situation in the NFL. But with the NFL cracking down and now having video surveillance protocols in place, I think you're going to see these outbreaks slow down. I think it's going to get closer to business as usual as we saw through the first three weeks of the season. I think these players and coaches have to realize this is a billion-dollar industry, and they're going to have to do their part to make sure this season continues on as planned. Absolutely. But – you know, a lot of this goes on to the NFL as well. Obviously, there are things that you can't control, like, you know, the Raiders, you know, being a charity event without a mask, the Titans gathering outside of team facility when they're not supposed to. That stuff, you know, that that you need to handle as an organization. But the NFL should be prepared for this. So all this is going to fall onto them. You know, coming into the season that this was going to be a possibility in this new COVID, you know, age we live in. Uh, we saw it earlier with baseball. 
I think baseball was kind of the structure the NFL followed, um, you know, in regards to baseball not being in a bubble. Every other sport we saw come back returned in a bubble, and it's just not logistically possible for the NFL. There's too much going on when it comes to roster size, practice squad, training staff, the personnel, everyone who travels. It's just too much, you know, to hold people up in a bubble, at least till you get the playoffs, maybe. Uh, but, you know, so the NFL is going to have to respond. Hopefully they have protocols uh, for breakouts in place. I'm sure they do. Obviously, the protocols that they have to prevent the breakouts uh, did not come for for to fruition, excuse me, and did not work. So the biggest thing is going to you know, be, can they combat this, change their protocols, and make sure that we're not seeing big breaks? I mean, you've got star players going out. Uh, you know, There's contact between Stephon Gilmore and Pat Mahomes face-to-face after the game. So it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they combat this. Yeah, certainly it is. But um, for the most part, it has worked out. Now, there have been a couple incidences here. Now, you're talking about the Titans is the only place where it's really gotten out of control. But um, even with the Patriots, they're not having a lot of positive tests. I think the Chiefs had one positive test. I do think the NFL has done a good job for the most part. I think it's going to be on these teams to continue to try to do their best at these handling these protocols. And I do think Doug Marone, the Jaguars head coach, and the rest of the staff, they deserve some kudos. They have remained committed to emphasizing the protocols from the jump. They've done a good job to this point. I want to give them credit for continuing to harp on this, continuing to make sure the players understand the protocols and make good decisions. We said before the season started, whichever team handles this the best will end up winning a bunch of ball games. And whoever wins the Super Bowl is going to be a team that handles this well. The Jaguars have struggled to win to this point, but they've got an opportunity to get the season back on track heading into Houston, and they are not one of the teams that we're talking about as one of these COVID hotspots. No, the Jaguars have stayed clean, so you're right. Kudos to them. Um, it, it's definitely going to be key uh, for teams going down the stretch. Obviously, it doesn't look like the Jaguars are necessarily going to be in that boat um, just based on what we've seen on the field. But you know, these teams who have legitimate championship hopes are really going to have to make sure they do the right thing and and keep these outbreaks from happening. And I mean, the Titans are one of those teams and whatever they've got going on, they need to reel it in fast because, you know, it's more than just, you know, themselves that they're affecting. Now, obviously we saw the Steelers game uh, reschedule, but now we're going into, you know, today's Wednesday. Uh, So if you listen to this today, we're we're going into the, you know, the, the second half of the NFL week. Once Thursday hits and Friday hits, I mean, that's when you're really going to find out who's playing and, you know, are we going to be able to get these games in and another rescheduling for the Titans? I mean, I don't know if, if the schedule can handle that. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have to do something to make sure that the NFL season can still go on smoothly. And, you know, this is going to be a logistical nightmare if this keeps happening. Yeah, I think you could be talking about extending the regular season out a week or two, depending on what happens with the Titans. Uh, I think the NFL came out and said today, nothing's off the table. Their priority right now is getting all the teams back into the state that they need to be, particularly the Titans, of course. But nothing's off the table in terms of instituting a a local bubble for teams that they're not allowed to leave. Potentially, that could be on the table. Um, and, you know, extending the regular season, pushing back the playoffs a little bit. All that stuff's on the table. We'll see how it all plays out. 
there's a lot that's up in the air at this point. But what we do know is the Jaguars are one and three. They're a quarter of the way through the football season. And they've got a divisional matchup with the 0-4 Texans coming up. Make sure to review us on your favorite podcast app. If you're having trouble finding us, which I have seen a little bit of, it's simply the Gen Jag podcast. Gen Jag is all one word. The Gen Jag podcast. Big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out of their downtown location on East Bay Street and at their Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Jeremy, let's get into some injuries here for the Jaguars. We've got Brandon Linder, who missed last week with a knee. C.J. Henderson left the game early with a shoulder. Miles Jack left the game in the third quarter with an ankle. Cam Robinson left the game with a knee. LaVisca Chenault left the game with a hamstring. Doug Marone says all those guys have the potential to play this weekend. There's a chance that they could all play. Uh, DJ Hayden, he left the game with a hamstring injury. He is now on IR. He will not play this week, and he will miss at least Houston, Los Angeles, and Detroit. Very unfortunate situation there. A much more positive note, however, Jared Wilson, who's been on IR since after week one with a hamstring, he has been designated to return, and there's an outside chance he could play this week. Uh, I'm not sure that that's likely to happen, but he is on track to return very soon. Getting into the Wednesday injury report for the Jaguars, uh, talking about some of the guys we just mentioned. LaVisca Chenault Jr., he participated in practice. Jared Wilson, while he's still on IR, has not been activated from IR, he did participate in practice. Brandon Linder, like I said, starting center, he missed the last game. He participated in practice. Not such good news. C.J. Henderson did not participate in practice with his shoulder. Josh Allen, who played most of the game against the Bengals, he did not participate in practice with a knee injury. Miles Jack, as I mentioned, ankle, did not participate. Tyler Shatley didn't participate in practice, who is Brandon Linder's backup, who filled in for him last week. He didn't participate in practice today, but it's not injury-related. Don't know what happened there exactly. Cam Robinson with his knee did not participate. Will Richardson, who is Cam Robinson's backup at left tackle, he missed practice with an illness today. And Tyler Eifert finally did not participate in practice with a scheduled day off. So the Jaguars have a lot going on on the injury front here. Yeah, it seems like, you know, the the sky is falling, not only, you know, just for the Jaguars, but I mean, we're seeing a rash of injury issues throughout the NFL. I mean, San Fran over there on the West Coast, they're absolutely decimated. And there are some key names on that list. You know, a lot of guys who have played a lot early uh, and or have been consistent producers over the last few years. Obviously, Brandon Linder uh, is the biggest name on that list, in my opinion. He is the captain of your offensive line. And they've played well, uh, you know, with him being gone. So, you know, there's some room for hope there. I'd like to see him get back this week. I'm leaning towards he might. Uh, you know, it's, it's seeming more and more like he's going to get back. Um, Tyler Shatley not practicing. I mean, that would be huge if they're somehow both out. But at least from what I'm seeing, you've got enough flexibility on the offensive line. I think we've got some guys that we can get in there uh, and, you know, and get them playing. Obviously, Barch is very uh, interchangeable. We haven't seen him hit the field yet, but he could play guard. He could play tackle. I think your biggest issue right now is center. Who is going to play center? I don't know outside of that room who has gotten reps at the center position uh, besides Linder and Shatley. I'm sure that they've had somebody uh, other snapping the ball. Um, 
And then on the defensive front, you're missing key players. I mean, Miles Jack, the best linebacker in football right now, uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, had a big game last According week. to my eyes as well. According to a lot of people's eyes, he has played very well. I, you know, I cannot deny that. Uh, that. That interception was a big focus play. He does seem to make some of those tough, difficult plays at times. It was a boost, honestly, for the team. Obviously, you know, the game didn't go as we planned, but... The, the biggest thing is, is going to be the defensive backs. I mean, you saw a little friendly fire there uh, from Henderson and Hayden. I couldn't really tell what that was actually Herndon. Was it Herndon? I couldn't exactly yeah. tell, you know, what was going on. You know, I didn't see it, but obviously, you know, it's something uh, lingering for, for Hayden, you know, he's on IR now and, and CJ Henderson, I mean, that's your number one guy and he's got to come out and play and we need him out there because, you know, once you saw all these guys go out with injuries last week, I mean, it became just an absolute, backyard football fest for lack of better terms you know this is a pg show you know for the Bengals, they just they just went up and down the field and joe burrow had no problem carving up the defensive backfield yeah i don't have i mean you've seen that from the defensive backs quite a lot uh this year to me the biggest issue is stopping the run which is obviously what the jaguars could not do in week three or excuse me in week four against the Bengals. And a big part of that was C.J. Henderson, in my opinion. I think you're fine on offense. I think Brandon Linder, if he's practicing Wednesday, he's coming back. He's going to be in the game. Uh, and Chatley, not injury-related. That seems like something that probably wouldn't keep him out on Sunday, but who knows? I don't want to speculate too much on that. But if you're looking at C.J. Henderson, Josh Allen, and Miles Jack, if you're without C.J. Henderson, I I don't want to say that C.J. Henderson is playing better football than Miles Jack or Josh Allen because he's not. But the replacement for C.J. Henderson, especially when you've got D.J. Hayden out in the nickel, uh, I just don't see how you replace C.J. Henderson, especially from an outside leverage and tackling perspective. It's def- I just don't see how you're placing. It's definitely going to be difficult. And I mean, the, the three names that you just keyed in on right there, Josh Allen, Miles Jack, CJ Henderson. Those are your top three players at each phase of the defense. Josh Allen is going to be your best defensive lineman right now. And, you know, he is even, you know, a great run stopping, you know, quote unquote linebacker in between guy, whatever you want to call him. But Miles Jack, again, we go back to it. The best linebacker in football right now. That is the man you know, in your linebacking core. Um, and then CJ Henderson, again, that's your, your number one pick. That is your, your, your top corner. Uh, you're right. He's not playing the greatest football the last two weeks. It seems like he's had a little bit of regression that's expected. He's a rookie, but like you said, the guys that are behind him, we either a haven't seen very much or B uh, you know, they, they just have not performed very well up to this point this year. Uh, I think we need to see some of the younger guys get in there, especially if you see guys like Henderson not playing. Having Jared Wilson back, uh, I think, will be huge. Um, it'll definitely add a little bit more experience back there. But if these guys are getting carved up left and right, you got to try something different. And I like to see some of the younger guys like Josiah Scott maybe uh, you know, get in there and get some reps. They can't possibly be any worse than what we saw in the second half on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, Scott's going to have to get some reps, it seems like. He hasn't been active yet. And Luke Barku as well, he could end up getting some reps. Um, I don't see how the Jaguars can win a football game without C.J. Henderson, Josh Allen, and Miles Jack. 
I don't either. I think that is going to just implode the, the, the already thin defense. You're already struggling mightily on defense. Very, very bad, poor showings over the last few weeks. I mean, if you want to say the last three weeks, let's let's be quite honest. Um, you know, after the week one, you know, tussle with the Colts where they they played, in my opinion, okay. I mean, I I don't I don't want to say they played well because the Colts still you know had their way with us on on defense. We made or on offense. I mean, we made plays on defense. We had to to seal that game. But the last three weeks. You could put anybody out there, and I think you'd have the same result at this point. So, you know, it, it's it's going to get tougher as the year goes on. Yeah, it is. Now, the good thing is there's a great chance that Henderson, Allen, and Jack can get back into practice and play on Sunday. We're not trying to say these guys are not playing, but the fact that they did not participate in Wednesday practice is concerning. Now, moving on to some other injury notes here. Josh Lambeau, just like to remind everyone, he's still on IR. He could return to practice after this ball game if he's healthy. We'll see about how that's going with his hip. Divino Zigbo, who a lot of people, including myself, before James Robinson kind of took center stage, thought he would end up being the number one back. Uh, he's got a hamstring. He's been on IR. He's uh, able to return now, but the team has not designated him to return yet. They're just trying to take it slow with him and make sure that he's fully ready when he comes back. Raquel Armstead is still on the COVID list. Doug Marone couldn't really make a educated comment on that today because he just isn't sure on where Armstead is with that. Uh, Carl Davis, he's not been injured. He's been suspended. He's el- eligible to return from suspension. Marone said the team may try to find him a spot on the active roster. Nothing's set in stone. Nothing is imminent on that front. And then when you look at the Texans, like I mentioned before, they're fairly healthy. They're only without Jordan Akins, who's their backup tight end, or I guess you could consider him a co-starter because he makes a lot of plays. But uh, they also have Brandon Fells at tight end. But, yeah, they are without Akins in practice today who has an ankle and a concussion and concussion protocol. So the Texans are looking a lot more clear on the injury front than the Jaguars. We will get into that matchup later on in the show. We're going to go ahead and get into notes from the Bengals bungle. First, though, I'd like to remind you to follow Jeremy on Twitter at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. All right, so as we all know, the Jaguars went into Cincinnati last week, 13-10, lead at halftime, played pretty well. Uh, for three quarters, they played good football. Of course, the third quarter of the game, they fell apart. I mean... When you talk about leading at halftime for the first time in the season, despite throwing an interception on the first drive of the game, that's pretty darn solid. They looked like they were going to come out and have a little bit more energy, a little bit more moxie. The team is facing so much criticism. You know, since week one, in my opinion, it looks like the team has just regressed in most phases of the game. Um, besides the running game, which we'll get to later when we talk about, uh, you know, our, our, our quarter reports. But there has to be accountability, I think, on the coaching staff in this instance. Like you said, you play two quarters of very solid football. You go into the half, you know, with the lead. And then things start to fall apart a little bit in, in the second half. I understand the injury issues, but, you know, th- there was absolutely no run I, defense. I wouldn't say that. 
I think the injury issues absolutely had an impact, but it's not like the guys that were out there, it's not like they were not that they couldn't make the plays. It was mental errors, in my opinion, on the defense side of the ball that led to those breakout runs from Joe Mixon. Mental errors, I mean, where do you if you can't put that all on the player. If that's if that's the case, then the player, you know, is no good and doesn't need to be on the roster. You can't be making those. Well, this is the NFL. This is coach. Chris Claybrooks and uh DJ Hayden, those guys that were out there on the long Joe Mixon outside run, they just did not play contain. Right. For whatever reason, on that D, on that Joe Mixon run and the Gio Bernard run before it, they didn't end up going for a touchdown. Same drive, same play. You're not getting outside contain. Maybe that's on coaching, but I mean, I think that's a basic principle of playing on the outside. It's basic principle, and I mean, I think I think it falls again, and, and I know that we're going to disagree here, but it falls on coaching, and even more maybe in the front office because, first of all, if you can't get these guys in the scheme, if you can't coach these guys up to where they're not making mental errors, reading their keys, whatever it may be, they got them out of position. That's on coaching. At that point, if those guys just aren't capable of doing that. You've got to go find somebody else. This is the NFL. It's not I, that they're incapable. I, I mean, you can't tell me Chris, Chris Claybrooks. Athletically, they're capable, sure. Yeah. But but mentally, they're obviously, you know, I'm not going to say obviously. I don't want to be too harsh on these guys. You know, I get we've got a lot of young players on the field. We've got a lot of guys with with not as much experience. I understand that. And they can say, you know, we're, we're building with these young guys. We have to give these guys reps. But there's a certain point to where if you're making these mistakes over and over and over again, there has to be some repercussions. I think the biggest thing too in the second half that I saw was the scheme. Todd Wash, when you lose players like that, you've got to make some sort of adjustment to to throw the offense off. And I just didn't see that. It looked like they kind of just got lazy, like a days ago. I don't know if it's lazy. I know I'm putting out terms that are probably, but you get it. Like it just didn't seem like there was any urgency to to make amends for the the injuries and and the issues that were happening on the field. And the Bengals just after that point just ran away with it. The third quarter was a meltdown on defense and on offense. You know, really got you out of that game. And then then here we come again in the fourth quarter playing from behind with a team that I don't think is very well equipped to play from behind. Gardner Minshew always seems to make, you know, a good push at the end. But again, at that point, it's too late. And, you know, we can get into the questionable calls down down the stretch as well um, a little bit later. But that that's what I'm seeing right now, honestly. Yeah, and going back to the defensive mental errors, whatever you want to call them, I do think it's on coaching to make sure these guys are not screwing up, but it's also on the players. To me, it's a combined effort. Going into um, Joe Mixon's second long touchdown run of the third quarter, the Jaguars had eight guys in the box. They were all right there, and nobody got a hand on him. I th- it was a pathetic effort by those eight guys in the box. Pathetic. A single guy touched him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then this is where I fall back to. If you don't have the right guys in the building, then go get somebody else. And there just hasn't been enough urgency, I think, from this front office. I don't understand how you put these guys on the field on defense. And I've regressed heavily in my opinion of this team obviously since after the first week i was very elated but that's what winning will do and that's you know kind of the situation that we're in with the jaguars to where one win will put you over the top and and we think we're back and then you kind of just get back to the same football that we were playing but if these guys can't get the job done you you've got to get other guys or you've got to change your scheme to fit what you've got and i don't see any of that right now and it might just be me from an outside perspective because obviously i don't have the in-depth that you know 
look at it that the coaches do, and I could be completely wrong, but as an outside perspective, this is what I'm seeing. I didn't see much scheme change. I didn't see any, you know, exotic blitzing or anything to switch up. A, a, you've got to understand you have a rookie quarterback back there. Joe Burrow is, I think he's going to be very, very good in this league. I think he's got the potential to be a star quarterback in this league. Quarterbacks around. I think the- he already is a star. Yeah he, yeah, he might be. You can put that on him. He, he's going to be very good. I mean, they've only got one win. They could have had two, maybe even three. But, you know, again, going back to it, he's still a rookie. You've got to do something different. Todd Wash is not known for doing a lot of things different. And that also might be part of the problem. I personally don't think he should have a job right now. There's not a lot of, of change in this defense, and maybe this defense is just too easy to plan for. You can do some of these things like play action, run you know, some tricky formations, get some guys in motion to get these guys out of position. If you go back and look at the tape, I'm sure you're going to find something from Zach Taylor's offense that is getting these guys out of position, whether it be misdirections, you know, the line, throwing off you know, the, the, the run block and the, the pass protection. That's there's got to be something there that's getting these guys out of position so consistently. So, you know, put it where you may, but I didn't see anything out of this defense to get into the head of Joe Burrow. Again, a rookie quarterback who has limited experience in this league, no matter how good he is, you've got to do something to get him off his game early. And I didn't see it. And then towards the end of the game, when you have to fight back and you have to make a push, there wasn't a push. I just saw the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, I'm with you. I do think that there's a disconnect. I I don't think there's enough talent on the back end. And I don't think that knowing that there's not enough talent on the back end, that Todd Wash is doing enough to try to mix it up. I don't necessarily think that Todd Wash should change his entire philosophy and just become a blitz-heavy guy. I do think he should install a few more blitzes per game, perhaps, in certain situations. But, you know, one thing I saw the Vikings do when I was watching the Texans-Vikings game, the Vikings, while they might not have blitzed, throw a guy down to the line of scrimmage, a linebacker or a safety, and then have him drop out. That can, And it did. It confused Deshaun Watson. It made him uh, uncomfortable. And it made him not be able to key in on what's happening. So maybe things like that you can, you know, uh, bring into your defense that you're not doing. I don't know. It's a tough situation. I agree with you that Todd Wash shouldn't have a job. I don't think they should fire him right now unless they're bringing in uh, old uh, Wade Phillips, who is looking for a job, obviously. I would be 100% on board with that, even though it sounds crazy uh, to switch defensive coordinators in the middle of the season, bring in a guy that is not been here before, but Wade Phillips gets results, but we don't need to harp on that too much. Todd Wash and Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell all should have been fired last year, if not the year before that. But this is where we are right now. This is what we have. And I don't think you're going to see anything change uh, unless this really gets off the rails and you're looking at like seven straight losses or something like that which hopefully we won't have to get to that point. But getting back to the Bengals game here a little bit, talking a little bit about uh, some more things that we saw from this one. Josh Allen, he deserves some credit because he is fourth in football and quarterback hits, but he's not getting consistent pressure enough. And the bottom line is, He can't just play good for this defensive line to do what they need to do. He has to play great because Chason, Hamilton, Smoot, Marsh, Taven Bryan, these guys are not creating pressure. 
Each one of them's getting like a pressure per game. They've got to be able to do more than that. And speaking of bringing players in, the Jaguars did bring in Jabal Sheard for a workout, but we've got no news on that. So it doesn't look like they're going to be ended up signing him. These other guys on the defensive line are not getting it done. And Josh Allen is not playing at an elite level to this point. He's not. And we need to see He's playing good. You got to give him credit for playing good, but, and it's a lot to throw on a second, uh, second year player. Who's a very young player, but the bottom line is he has to play great if, for this defense to be anything. If you look at this, his numbers and you say, okay, he has the most quarterback hits in the league. That's great. But there's no sacks. That does not affect the game at all. The quarterback hit stat is – I don't even want to look at it. Throw it out the window. Well, it can affect the it game because you hit the quarterback and maybe he throws an interception. But obviously it's – But not. it hasn't happened. I want to look back and see what these hits are. Are we getting – it doesn't – but the thing – the difference is it doesn't look like we're getting pressure, like you said, to affect the throw. It's maybe coming a step after. We're, we're just getting hits on the guy – Maybe you're trying to make him feel uncomfortable. I get that, but it's not contributing to the game. And that's what the biggest issue is. Bringing Jabal Sheardin, I think, is fantastic. He is a guy who has had success in this league. He's not obviously a standout star, but again, you know, he might be better than some of the guys you have on the roster. There are guys out oh, there. He is 100%. There are guys out there that are better than what you have on the roster, be it old, be it whatever you want to call it. I don't know, you know, again, it goes back to I don't know what they're waiting for. If you don't have the guys to get it done and you're trying to win the game, a guy like Shear could come in and help you. He he might. He he's gonna come in and, and he might make an impact. You know, he he again has had success before. He's got a lot of reps in the league. You know, we've got a lot of young guys out there, guys that we're depending on, you know, to take a step that they're just not taking. Cassius Marsh, you know, a guy who seemed to be a rotational guy at best. We're seeing a little bit more of him than I thought we would, but again, he's he's not very effective. You don't think Jabal Shear could do just as good, if not more. It's at least worth a look to see if you could get somebody different into that locker room, onto that field that can might, you know, that might make an impact for you. Yeah. And Sheard has plenty of experience in the division plan for quite a while with the Colts. Switching sides of the ball, I think Gardner Minshew played much better for a second straight week than he's been given credit for. I do not think he was perfect or close to it. He really only had, obviously the interception to start the game was on him, in my opinion. He threw the ball late. He threw it off his back foot. He needed to plant his foot, get it out quicker, and get it on Eifert's left side instead of his right side where the defender was draped all over him. Uh, And then you look at the two drives to start the third quarter, Bengals are running the ball up and down the field. Minshew comes out. You have this long run by James Robinson called back. You get into second and 15. Minshew just, I asked him about this today. Minshew just did not find his reads on the second side of the field. He started on the right side and did not find Keelan Cole on the left side when he was open. Um, And then he threw the ball away. Then you look at the next play, throws the ball away again, I think that on that one, I don't give him as much of the blame because he had to get 15 yards. So he's not going to just dump it down as soon as someone's open. He's trying to find something deeper downfield and nothing opened up. And then you look at the next drive. 
He was able to complete a pass to DJ Chark after missing James O'Shaughnessy for what would have been a first down. He just underthrew the ball. But then after that, uh, it's third and four. He's trying to make something happen with his legs, and he ultimately gets tackled right around the line of scrimmage, just wasn't able to get it done. Those three drives are really the only drives where I saw Minshew not playing very good football. But when you talk about three drives in a game where the opponent's scoring 33 points, it's just not going to be good enough to have three ineffective drives. Exactly. I couldn't have said it any more perfect. That first interception you know, on the first drive of the game, I think had the potential to set the tone for a very poor game, but I like the way he bounced back. Like you said, that throw's got to be out quicker. That's a three-step drop. You should be throwing that ball before he's turned. He needs to be halfway through his comeback, and you need to be hitting him right across the middle. And exactly like you said, throw it to his left shoulder. Throw it to the open side of the field where he can make a play with the ball away from his body, away from the defender, and you don't throw that interception. That you can coach up, that you can fix, You know, as long as you're not making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And you're right, Minshew hasn't played terrible, but there are some things that you are seeing from him that you don't see from a typical starting quarterback in the NFL. Some things that... You know, people have questioned in the past some things that have kind of been the focal point on whether or not he can be an NFL quarterback. He missed a few throws. That's okay. That's going to happen to anybody. Again, it's if you're doing it consistently. Um, the biggest thing I saw was the the sense of pressure when there wasn't really any. And I know that obviously teams do get pressure on Minshew and. You know, you can get a little antsy back there, but you've got to stay in the pocket and not force yourself out. You know, if, if the tackles are, are making their way around you, step up. You know, there's some times where he can step up into the pocket instead of dropping back or trying to roll out, you know, and, and you're shrinking the field for yourself. Because once you start rolling out away from a tackle, you know, they can't hold the defensive end. You're going to shrink the field. If you can step up into the pocket, you got yourself two outlets between the guards or on the outside of the guards, excuse me. You know, if, if you have to get out of there, give yourself a better chance at getting forward and not backwards. Um, and then again, just reads, making sure that he's making the right reads. There were a few times where it didn't look like he had the ball in the right place. Uh, a key one, actually, uh, was he he did hit Chris Conley. Again, it was like an eight-yard completion uh, on a drag, but you had Colin Johnson come up over the back of the linebacker. As soon as that linebacker steps up, you've got to drop that ball over the linebackers because Colin Johnson – had had room for days. He's not the fastest guy, but he's going to get you at least 25, 30 yards on that play. I think it was either late second or early third quarter. I'm going to have to go back and look back on it. But, you know, it seems like in that instance, he probably just made the first read and boom, which I can understand. You got the ball, you got the completion, but you got to read that a little bit better to where if you have a guy downfield open, you've got to start taking those shots because that kind of plays into the whole thing where, well, he's not, we're not taking shots downfield. He's not throwing the ball downfield. He likes to be, the check down guy, which I don't think, I think Minshew can get the ball downfield. Obviously last year he had a very, uh, very good passer rating on deep balls. I think he was top three in the league, if I'm mistaken, or top three in rookies. It, he was, I think he was number one. Um, and one of, it, it was either in, in passer rating downfield or completion percentage downfield. He was number one. And it, the other one, he was like number three behind like Russell Wilson and somebody else that's an elite quarterback. Right. So he's proven that he can do it. So uh, again, I don't know if it's, Hey, I see this guy. I'm going to go ahead and take it. I get that. But there are some points in the game where you've got to look ahead of what's there. It, it, you know, that pass probably would have been there if he would have held on to it enough for another second. 
just the way that the defense was playing. It looked like they were dropping the safeties over the top, corners were staying outside, and the linebackers were stepping up, keeping everything in front of them. Colin Johnson, right over uh, the deep cross, is going to have room to run. So just little things like that, obviously. You know, he made a play where we got yards. I don't remember exactly how that drive ended, but that drive could have ended in a touchdown. That drive could have ended in at least some points because Colin Johnson was moving down the field. So little things like that you'd like to see, better pocket awareness. And I'm not sure if if that's due to his stature. I've been kind of thinking about this. Like, what exactly is it? He's a small guy back there. There's no way around it. You know, it, it just is what it is. He is a smaller quarterback. He's he's not the biggest guy, and I don't know if maybe him not being able to uh, have a great field of vision when the pocket does start to inch back towards him a little bit is causing some of this discomfort, but you've got to see him settle in a little bit better than he has. Uh, but all in all, he hasn't played terrible. No, he hasn't. Yeah, and I mean, there's no question that's something he has to overcome is his height and his inability to see over the trees in front of him. It's something he's going to have to work on. He's going to have to continue to work on. And we will talk about this topic again coming up in a little bit after we uh, get through our progress report. But getting back to some of these um, offensive guys just against the Bengals, you look at uh, Chris Conley, who you mentioned. He rebounded nicely after a terrible performance against the Dolphins. He caught three or four targets, was more of an auxiliary piece instead of a focal point of the offense, and that's what he needs to be. Having DJ Chark back helped the offense tremendously, especially the receiving core. And you and I both, after Chark being out, were a little surprised by how that how much that affected the offense. And I really think it did. Um, but you saw some other guys stepping up and making plays, and, and it kind of goes back to this receiving core being as deep as it is. You've got enough guys out there to make plays. And, and you know, certain guys are going to have to step up each week. I don't think we're going to see one guy just – be the guy all year. So it was nice to see a a veteran, a leader in the locker room rebound from a slow start of the season and have a pretty solid game. Yeah, and LaVisca and Keelan, they both continue to play well at receiver. James Robinson, nominated for Rookie of the Week again. He had a fantastic game, over 100 yards uh, from scrimmage. Would have had over 150 yards from scrimmage if that uh, James O'Shaughnessy penalty had not brought that 50 yard 50-ish yard run back and like you said DJ Chark two touchdowns his first touchdown was just so so smooth he absolutely roasted the cornerback covering him and then the toe drag swag in the back of the end zone the spatial awareness the body control the hands that was beautiful and then his second touchdown being able to out physical the guy the the cover guy there close to the end zone and uh, just catch a touchdown on a slant right there, a physical play. DJ Chark is something else. He really is. I mean, he is everything that we hoped he would be. Took him a little while to get there. You know, I, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a player have the kind of rookie year he did. I mean, basically non-existent. And then in the second year, make the massive leap that he did. So he's going to be a key component of this team, hopefully fingers crossed because we know how, you know, things have been with roster turnover over the last seven years. He needs to be a key focal point on this team for, for a long time. And he does a lot for you. 
He takes the attention off other guys, allows you to move the ball around. And, and then when you need to make plays, he's going to make those plays. Like you said, that toe drag in the back of the end zone, I mean, you couldn't have done it any better. And there's, you need guys like that to make those plays, and he's definitely one of those guys. Yeah. So uh, moving on here, we've talked about the Bengals game quite a bit, and, and reasonably so. But we're going to get into our progress report here. But please check out genjag.com for all the latest Jaguars news, analysis, videos. And, of course, check out the shop. We've got a ton of fun merchandise going up on there all the time. Got a lot of mainstays that we have got in stock for you right now. Now, getting into that progress report, we're not going to grade the special teams because overall, it's been okay. You have been without Josh Lambeau. Logan Cook has mostly been what you want him to be. He's had some punts that weren't great, but overall not too bad. And you just haven't seen much from the return game due to uh, kicks going out of the end zone and not a lot of forced punts. So we don't have to cover special teams too much right now because there hasn't been too much to talk about. But offense, defense, we'll start with the passing game. There's been plenty of yardage and efficiency through the air from Minshew and these receivers. Red zone scoring, you're in the top 10. For, huge leap from um, from past seasons. A few unfortunate interceptions and missed reads. But if those had gone the other way, this offense could really be humming, especially those interceptions, which weren't all on Minshew, but also maybe he could have made a better read on a couple of them, especially the Tyler Eifert one. Uh, pass pro has been good enough to be successful. The team uh, they had to throw the ball too often against Miami and a little too much against Cincinnati as well. So you'll see some more pressures than you would like to. But overall, pretty good. I think Jawan Taylor has been okay, but he certainly is capable of playing at a much higher level. I think he could be an elite football player. He's not playing like that yet. And then James Robinson, the main running back in pass protection. Fantastic in pass pro, fantastic catching passes out of the backfield. I'm giving this pass game a B because there's been a few missed opportunities, but overall they've done a pretty good job through four weeks. I'm going to go C minus. Uh, oh, a little, a little bit, yeah, and, and I'll tell you why. There are some things that you know we've seen that we've liked, but there are some things that we expected to see that we haven't that you really need to see from some young guys and some key cogs on this offense going forward. Like you said, Jawan Taylor has the potential and has all the ability to be a top tackle in this league. We need to see more from him. Uh, obviously, you know, James Robinson has been more than anything you could have ever hoped. And for a running back who outside of what we know, probably didn't get the most reps in training camp. I'm assuming he obviously got enough for the team to see what they liked in him, but to just step in and become the pass pro back that he has really adds an extra dimension to this offense. They talked about it in the broadcast on Sunday. He becomes a three-down guy, and you can put him in there whenever and not really key the defense off at all. So that's been great. And, and you know, Minshew's been able to get him the ball out of the backfield. He's been productive. Minshew's been able to make some, some plays. Uh, but again, he's made some very poor decisions. Some of the interception stuff, obviously, it's going to happen. It's football. You know, fluky stuff, you know, one or two bad throws here and there, but you got to eliminate, you know, the BS. You got to eliminate the stuff that you can definitely go without if you make, like you're saying, the right reads, the right decisions, the timing is there. So there are little things that you'd like to see that would really, like you said, put this offense over the top. But because of that, because of the 
not necessarily execution issues, but but head issues. That's why I got him at a C minus. I've seen what they can do. I think they can do a lot better. And I think the last two weeks you've seen a lot of regression, uh, you know, in those regards. And and you're going to put yourself in a position to be one dimensional. Obviously, that's not on the offense, so we won't get into that right now. But as it stands, I think we could definitely see a lot more from this past offense, but not terrible thus far. C minus is a pretty rough grade. I don't know if I'm with you there. I could see if you a little below average. I just don't see any way that I guess you could say they're a little below average comparing them to the rest of the league right now, just because of how crazy offenses are going. But considering everything that they've gone through, I think I'm I'm giving them a B because I think they have been good enough to win football games. But I could reasonably understand maybe a C or a C plus C minus I think is really rough but moving on to the running game what have you seen there oh oh man that did that lost you yeah I'm back now can you hear me now yep all right you're good to go apologize um so I said uh a minus a minus for this this run offense I think you've seen much more than you expected, uh, you know, with the early offseason, um, you know, transaction of, of cutting Leonard Fournette. Everything was kind of up in the air, but James Robinson stepped in. And like I said before, has been more than anything you could have ever wished for. And they've been extremely productive. And when they haven't had to become one dimensional, they've been extremely explosive in the run game. Like I said, James Robinson is is wearing down defenses. He's making plays. He seems to have great vision behind the line. And on top of that, he's got great feet in the backfield. Something that we didn't necessarily see from Fournette a lot. He's got the option, uh, you know, to cut back, you know, get through some holes, you know, that maybe aren't his first choice. Something we probably wouldn't have seen from Fournette as much. Obviously, you know, he's a very downhill runner. Once that hole opens up, if it's there, he's just going through it. James Robinson can make some moves. He's very shifty. I love what I've seen. Uh, And from the offensive line as well, they have created holes for him to get through and make explosive plays down the field. And that has been great for the pass offense as well. It works in conjunction. When we get ahead of the sticks in the run game, the offense moves better. And like I said, when we're not pigeonholed to being one dimensional and having to throw the ball consistently to stay in a game, the run offense has produced. And I'm very, very happy with where it's at. Yeah, the offensive line, like you said, from a run blocking perspective, has been very good. James Robinson has been a revelation. There's nothing else you can say about him. I mean, he's been amazing. Always makes the first guy miss. Always gets positive yardage. Always fights for more yardage through the tackle. And he's been making some dazzling moves in the open field the last couple weeks that I didn't even know he had in him. Great short area explosion. He's been the only runner really getting the ball from a running perspective for the Jaguars with any consistency, and that's just fine with me. Absolutely. He has completely turned himself, like I said, into a three-down back. And if he keeps playing like this, he might have a chance at Rookie of the Year. I really do think he he, he does. And it's probably going to shoot him in the foot because I don't think this team is going to win very much down the stretch, especially when we get into the, the second half of the season where it's an absolute gauntlet, and I think that might hurt him. But statistically speaking, he has been one of the best, if not the best rookie thus far. Like you said, again, nominated for a second rookie of the week in a row. It's unspeakable what he has brought to this team, and and I never, ever would have thought it was coming. Yeah. 
just nothing else you can say besides he's he's just been awesome and he's such a professional such a, a workman's attitude and you gotta love it now moving on to the defensive side of the ball get into the run defense so far they have been just so superior to what they were last year when you look at them through the first three weeks but the issues with contain and swarming to the ball, they showed up really bad in that third quarter against the Bengals. It was ugly. Like I said, prior to week four, I would have given them probably a B in the in the run defense department. But when because when you look at what they did against the Colts, Titans, and Dolphins, holding them in check on the ground, that was pretty impressive, especially the Colts and Titans. But it was no good last week in that third quarter. They've got to get back on track quickly moving forward. So I'm gonna give them a C. If we're looking at the quarter of the season as a whole, I'm going to give them a B minus. I think they have obviously gone above expectations. This defense last year was crippled by its inability to stop the run. And just like you said, through the first three weeks against teams that I thought were going to run the ball down our throat, they've been very good. Uh, The Colts with a great offensive line was a team that I thought was just going to run the ball down their throats. Derrick Henry, a guy who has been, you know, the bane of our existence since he's gotten to Tennessee, they kept them somewhat in check. Uh, You know, I expected at least a buck 50 from him and they held him to under a hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So you cannot look at this defense and say that stopping the run has been an issue because they've done it up until the third quarter and Joe Mixon just just turned on the Jets and became a totally different player. Uh, but like you said, it seems to be guys getting out of position and guys making mistakes that are really hurting this defense, not necessarily their inability to stop the run whatsoever. They can do it if they do it correctly. Um, and so, you know, those mistakes, getting out of position, whatever it may be, that's something you can clean up. And if you can clean that up, you're going to get back on track uh, and, and you're going to be able to stop the run, uh, at least from what we've seen so far. All right, Jeremy. Pass defense. Lay it on me. If I could go further than an F, I would. Uh, but you can't. So an F minus. It's, it's been as bad as it could be. I mean, you might disagree a little bit. I might be a little too harsh. But you, they're not allowing this team to stay in games. They just aren't. I mean, even even the win. The Colts outgained us in offense by uh, – they. I think they doubled us up, if we're being completely honest. They had over 400 yards of total offense uh, to our two-something, and we just happened to make some defensive plays on Phillip Rivers, poor play on his part to snag that win. Obviously, if you've seen, the Colts have been playing a lot better, so I don't know if it was just a a first-week fluke or what. Um, But again, going into week two, uh, we had to have Ryan Tannehill beat us, and he did. He absolutely just carved us. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick, the week following, had a great showing against the defense, and then this second-half meltdown – you know, Joe Burrow couldn't be stopped and that pass offense couldn't be stopped. So looking at every single game this year, the biggest issue has been the pass defense, which is completely different than it was last year. Um, obviously, they weren't great by any means. Don't get me wrong. But this year, they've been the crutch. They've been they've been the cripple. They have been the the issue for the team overall. And it affects everybody because once you start getting behind, the offense becomes one dimensional. You know, you're you're going to lose confidence. The defense, the longer the game goes on, just seems they just get a little bit worse. And I really don't think they could be any bad than they have in, in the first quarter of the season. And that's just me. Saw some promise early uh, from C.J. Henderson, which was nice. But as a group, as a whole, it's been beyond poor. 
no pass rush, no coverage ability without C.J. Henderson on the field. And even in week three when he was on the field, you still weren't seeing it. It's been ugly, plain and simple. They had one really good half against the Colts in the second half of that ball game. The pass defense did. Outside of that, it's been hot garbage. 77% completions allowed to opposing quarterbacks. It's an F. There's no other grade to give them. It's been terrible. I just, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say I don't get it because I do. I think the personnel wise, they just don't match up with anybody that, that they've played so far. You know, they just have not been able to really bottle anybody. And even again, you can say they played really well against the Colts. Uh, second half they did. Second half they did. But again, I, I mean, okay, I could chop it up to them. They made plays. They made big plays when they needed to. So we'll give them that. But again, giving up yards, letting offenses move. There, there's been nothing in terms of stopping the pass offense. You know, again, besides those two interceptions in week one, everything else has been lackluster from top to bottom. Pass rush, uh, you know, contain on on short routes, losing guys on deep routes, just completely getting absolutely beat by receivers. I haven't seen really anything positive that you could really stick out and say, well, I, I expect improvement because I don't. I, I don't see anything that's going to lead me to believe that we should see some improvement going forward, uh, you know, unless there's some personnel changes, you know, get some of these guys, like you said, Barku, Josiah Scott, haven't played a lot. Maybe they've got something. Getting Jared Wilson back could definitely help out quite a bit. Jared Wilson's going to help. Don't get. I mean, it's not going to revolutionize that back group, but it can help. Yeah, you're you're putting band aid on a pipe that just burst. I mean, that, that's pretty much what you're getting to. I think at this point, um, and Jared Wilson is one of the leaders of the defense, especially in that secondary. Um, he's going to have to step up big uh, because you've seen a lot of guys split the safeties and really get over the top early this year. So we've got to shore that up. We've got to keep everything in front of us. If we're going to be a defense you know, that kind of falls under that bend, don't break mentality. I get that because honestly, we're going to have to do what we can to just limit the damage, you know, stop teams when they get into the red zone, stop teams when they cross midfield. This offense has been performing again, not amazing, but well enough to win some ball games. They put up points and, and you just come back to, you know, losing shootouts, which is not a thing that this team is, is equipped to do. You can't get in a shootout because, eventually you might make a mistake or, or you're going to get an ugly string of drives like you did against the Bengals that are just going to set you back. So um, if you're going to be that bend don't break mentality, if, if you're going to, you know, not have the guys to really shut down opposing offenses, then you've got to do something extensive to limit the damage. Whether that, like I said, whether that be stopping teams in the red zone and only giving up three points, so your offense has a chance to answer or even, you know, go over that with seven, that's really the only way that I can realistically see them winning games, but you've got some insane skill players and great offenses coming at you down this stretch of the season. So it's going to be interesting for sure. No doubt about it, Jeremy. I'd like to remind everybody to follow Bold City Brewery on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bold City Brewery. Now getting into Jags at Texans. The Texans are 0-4. They just fired Bill O'Brien, who had an amazing record against the Jaguars. He was their head coach, their GM, their play caller at the end. He obviously wasn't getting the job done in any of those facets. Did have a really tough situation with that start of the season with the Chiefs, Ravens, Vikings, and Steelers all on the schedule. Romeo Cornell will now take over as the head man in the interim. I think he's well-equipped to do so. 
hasn't had much success as a head coach in the NFL, but he knows these players and this locker room, and I would not be surprised to see the Texans play much better football moving forward. I couldn't agree more. I think Bill O'Brien did the Texans worse than Tom Coughlin did the Jaguars. I mean, I haven't seen anything. And then, okay, let's bottle this down to the last four years because they made the playoffs. But you've got Deshaun Watson. You have to be winning games. You got rid of DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson? It just baffles me. But we're going to get past that. We're going to look at the team we have now coming up on Sunday. And the Texans are much better than our 1-4 record. They are. They're much better. They've played tough teams, like you said, the first four weeks. And they've been in uh, those games for the most part. Um, you know, obviously outside, but but they've they've got the ability to really blow the lid off. They've got a lot of speed on the outside. Uh, you know, with their with their two uh, wide receivers, Fuller and uh, Brandon Cooks, and uh, even Kenny Stills even and Kenny uh, Stills. yeah, yeah. It, and they've got they've got playmakers, and it's just saying in the back of my head. You know, they may not be able to run the ball. I think that might be you know the Jaguar saving grace if they can get back to their run stop that they've had. You know, early on in the season, but you know you're gonna you're gonna force the Texans to throw the ball, and and can you stop it? it is going to be the key. Zero and four, they're not an zero and four team, and they know what they have to do to turn this thing around and right the ship before it's too late, uh, because they are the best team in the division still, in my opinion. Even at zero and four, not best team, maybe Titans, but we're gonna see what happens with with COVID. But best quarterback by far, uh, in my opinion, and and they definitely have what they need to make a run in this division. So Romeo Cornell is going to be a breath of fresh air for them. I've always liked Romeo Cornell. I think that this isn't going to be, you know, one of those games where with a new coach, the team puts a dud out there. I think this is going to be a game where with a new coach, the team has a little bit of extra oomph behind them and uh, they're going to come out ready to play. Yeah, I think they will. I do think the Colts are the best team in the division right now, record wise and just, uh, in general, their defense is playing good football outside of the game against the Jaguars. But going back to the Texans on offense, they've struggled with pass protection. And a lot of that has been on Deshaun Watson. He's been holding on to the ball for way too long. Receivers maybe not getting open down the field. Uh, Titus Howard at right tackle. He was their first round pick last year. He's been allowing a ton of pressure. You got Fulton and Sharping on the interior, allowing a lot of pressure. But to me, it really comes down to Watson not uh, just not looking himself and not being comfortable back there in a lot of situations. They've given up 16 sacks, the only team in the NFL that has given up more sacks than the Bengals, who the Jaguars faced last week and could only get to the ground one time. Exactly. So that's why I don't see any potential here for us to dominate the game up front. You just said it right there. The worst offensive line in the NFL, arguably the Bengals, the Jaguars could do nothing. You know, obviously, week one against the Colts, solid offensive line. You know, you, you take that for what it is. The Titans have a solid offensive line. You take that for what it is. The team really needed to step up this week against Cincinnati, uh, especially on the defensive line front, getting pressure on Joe Burrow, and they didn't. And if you think Joe Burrow can carve you up when he has time, wait until you give Deshaun Watson four, five, six seconds, see what he does. Not only can he escape out of the pocket, you know, he's a lot faster and a lot more athletic than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow can move, but Deshaun Watson can really move and he can really hurt you with his legs. And he's going to hurt you with that arm if you give him time. And there has been no pressure at all whatsoever from this defensive front. Nothing has shown me that that's going to change. And I think that's going to, you know, put you in the same spot uh, that you were in last week. And, and the offense is going to have to try to keep up. And I just don't know if they can. 
Yeah, if ever there was a matchup for Deshaun Watson to get back on track, it is this one. The Jaguars' pass rush has proven they are outmatched by every single offensive line in football and each quarterback they've faced this year. And until the guys that I mentioned before start creating more pressure, I cannot buy into them affecting the passer. We've talked about the secondary. Deshaun Watson should be throwing the ball all over the yard in this one. The Texans are only averaging 20 points per game, but this team has plenty of offensive talent. They've got plenty of offensive talent, and the Jaguars are giving up a ton of points. So, you know, it just seems like the perfect storm. Like you said, it it kind of seems like every time somebody needs to have a breakout game or a game to get back on track, they happen to match up against the Jaguars. And Deshaun Watson should have no issue getting back on track and getting this offense moving. And I'm concerned – offensively as well um obviously you know it is wednesday and we might see uh, some improvement as far as the injury report goes like you said you know we're going to hope to see linder back but you know cam robinson might have some lingering you know issues with with his knee um and the texans defensive line has a guy named jj watt nobody forget who hasn't been great thus far but again if there's going to be a matchup or a game where he can break out and get himself back on track it's going to be against this offensive line especially if they're hurt yeah, and Whitney Merciless can get after the passer as well. So that that could be an issue. But they're really struggling, the Texans are, on the defensive side of the ball. And their biggest issue is not being able to stop the run. They're getting run out of the building in every single game they've played so far. They're allowing 181 yards per game on the ground, 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, if the Jaguars can come out and run the ball on first down, maybe run it on second down, get some play action going, which they haven't been doing enough of, in my opinion. They'll have a shot, certainly, to put points up on the board against this defense. I think they're definitely going to have a shot even to win this game, uh, and here's why. Just like you said, the Texans cannot stop the run, and that is something the Jags have done well all year. So it's going to be key to get out and do that early and keep the Texans' offense on the sideline. This team is best when they can control the game, limit turnovers, keep themselves ahead of the sticks, just like we saw in week one. You know, the offense didn't do anything crazy. They didn't put up gaudy numbers, but they kept themselves ahead of the sticks. They kept the clock running, and they made plays when they needed to. So the run is going to be, hopefully, Jay Gruden's focal point this week. Let's get James Robinson the ball. He's proven to be one of your best athletes on the field. And and let him, you know, go out there and just eat. Same thing with Chenault. You know, they've done so much with him. And and every week they've shown the snap breakdowns of where he lines up. He's lining up all over the place. He's an athlete as well. He's explosive. Get him the ball. Get him the ball out of the backfield. Get him the ball out of the slot. Throw some screens. Do everything to keep yourself ahead of the sticks. Keep the Texans offense off the field and capitalize because – you know, if you start fizzling out on offense or you start, you know, not chewing up some clock, not getting yourself in a position to be productive and you start shrinking the playbook, you're going to cause problems. And the more time that Sean Watson's on the field, the more time the Texans have to score. Once they start scoring, once this game gets out of hand and the offense has to go uh, one dimensional, you're going to get into trouble. So they have a chance to really take a stranglehold of the Texans early if they can run the ball. And if you can sit the Texans down at 0-5 and and pretty much knock them out of the playoffs and any divisional hope, it's going to have to be now, and and they have a chance to do that. And getting another divisional win, getting yourself back at least into 
clawing range of, of getting somewhere in this division is going to be key, and it has to happen this Sunday. It certainly does have to happen this Sunday. And before we get into our final analysis and bold predictions, let's get into some stardom, sit some fantasy football. Everybody enjoys fantasy football, unless your team has suffered many injuries, as many teams have this year. But let's go ahead and get into it, starting off with the Texans side of the ball. David Johnson, Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, those are the only guys you're really looking at starting on a weekly basis. What are you seeing from those guys this week? I think Deshaun Watson's a must start. Uh, This defense has not shown any signs of stopping opposing quarterbacks, as we've discussed this entire hour. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts. If you have Deshaun Watson, you're playing him. Um, If you got David Johnson, I'd probably play him too. Uh, You know, he hasn't been the David Johnson of old. I don't know if that's what Bill O'Brien expected to get out of him. I certainly did not. But he's going to have a chance to, especially in PPR leagues, probably snag some balls out of the backfield uh, and get into space early against his defense. Uh, And, I mean, I don't really think you could go wrong either way. We're getting into bye weeks now with Fuller or Brandon Cooks, um, just solely based off of the way this Jaguars defense is playing. There's going to be opportunities for guys to make plays. You know, so just going to be picking who it is. If you got to pick one, I'd go with Fuller. But like you said, those three guys, play them. Why wouldn't you? We're back to the old adage of if you're playing the Jaguars, play them. Yeah, Deshaun Watson, if he's on your team, you're starting him no matter what. Unless you've just got like a ridiculous quarterback stack, which I don't know why you would really do that. But anyways, uh, and like, so for me, I did have Dak Prescott and Joe Burrow. If I had a situation where I had Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow, I might think about starting Joe Burrow some weeks. But Burrow's taking on the Ravens this week. I don't think there's any really good streamers that you're going to want to put in over Deshaun Watson against the Jaguars. That just doesn't make sense. David Johnson... I'm not a big fan. I do have him in a league where I am debating not starting him this week against the Jaguars. I mean, it is a decent matchup uh, when you look at the fantasy stats, but David Johnson does not look like himself. The only running back to really, really pop off against the Jaguars this year was Joe Mixon, and David Johnson is not going to be uh, converting those long touchdown runs as Joe Mixon did, in my opinion. So if you have to start him, you can. I don't think you feel great about starting David Johnson. I would feel great about starting Will Fuller in this one. He's been a good, uh, a, a really good player when he's been healthy. Brandon Cooks is a weird one. He got goose-egged last week against the Vikings. I don't know what to do with Brandon Cooks. Definitely not dropping him, but if I can get somebody else into my lineup that I feel more comfortable with, uh, I'm definitely going to be trying to do that. They're both boomer bust guys, really, when you look at it, especially historically with Will Fuller. Um, he- Fuller is historically, but without um, DeAndre, I think he really is the number one guy. I, if I had him on my fantasy teams, which I wasn't able to get him, he would not be coming out of my lineup unless he was injured. Yeah, he's especially this week. You know, I, it depends what your wide receiver situation is. I don't think Fuller is necessarily a must-start wide receiver one yet, but looking at this matchup, he absolutely is, but he's like the perfect flex guy. Yeah, right? yeah he, he is. He's a good little flex guy. Exactly. You know, he's not necessarily going to crack my wide receiver one, uh, but he's got great flex potential, especially when it comes to matchups. This is a great matchup for him. Brandon Cooks historically has been a guy who has been an impact player. Like I said, he got goose egged. I don't know if it's, you know, being with a new team, being a new offense. There's a lot going on you know, with the Texans. Um, but again, 
a, a speedster, a guy who can catch the ball, a guy who can make some plays. Not going to be, you know, the first guy I look towards. But if I'm in a pinch, if you got some injuries, if you got some issues, if you have to stream, even uh, not the worst possible pick. But Will Fuller is going to be your go-to guy from the receiving core for the Texans. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you really want to, you could try to stream Stills or Cobb, but that's just a deep league. Just like maybe they get a touchdown, maybe they get a long play because the Jaguars can't cover anyone. Switching sides of the ball, you've got plenty of uh, uh, Jaguars that have made a fantasy impact so far. Gardner Minshew, I mean, are you putting him in in this one? I'm probably going to sit Minshew. Um, Again, he seems like one of those guys where you might have him on your roster. He's definitely made an impact to be on a roster, but if you've got a better quarterback, you're probably going to go with it if you got one of those top 10 guys. Um, If you didn't and you went maybe wide receiver running back heavy uh, for the first eight or 10 rounds and you're sitting with like, you know, maybe a Daniel Jones or even if you are sitting with like a Joe Burrow, um, Carson Wentz, you know, some of these guys, you might look at playing him. I personally am not. Um, I think this Texans defense uh, can do a lot of different things to confuse quarterbacks. And uh, again, it goes back to offensive line issues. As of right now, it's Wednesday. We don't see anything set yet. But if we're going to have some holes on the offensive line, it might be a risky play. Yeah, it could be a risky play, but it could be a sneaky play, too. He's not a guy that usually gets held down for a long period of time in terms of multi-game stretches. He's always seeming to bounce back. He has had two not-great games in a row, so we'll see if that snowballs. But he could be a sneaky play. Not one of my top plays of the week, but if you have to put him in, I don't think you should feel too, too concerned about it. Um, James Robinson, he's a must-start. He's an RB1. He's top five, top six running back in fantasy football right now. Uh, There's no way that you have him and you cannot put him in, especially against a Texans defense that has just been gashed by opposing runners. Without question, he's in the starting lineup. I think that's going to be pretty much a common thing here for the rest of the year. Um, And, you know, God forbid any injuries or anything crazy, knock on wood, let's not put that on anybody. But after week one, he should have been owned in every league. And I think at this point he's showing you that he's going to be a consistent performer, uh, especially, you know, if we're looking at the matchup, the Texans do not play the run. Well, I think James Robinson has the potential to have a very big day. Yeah. And then DJ Chark, I think he's a must start as well. I know he hasn't been consistent. He's missed a game, but I don't think he has to be your must start as a wide receiver one or two, but if he is your flex, you're in a really good position this week. He's just too good to keep out of your lineup, especially after what you saw from him last week. DJ Chark is definitely going to be a great flex option for you. Um, The Texans aren't that great in the defensive back department as well. DJ Chark's going to have a chance to really make some plays. Uh, But again, just like you said, I don't necessarily know if he's a wide receiver one, the Jags have been spreading the ball a lot, have definitely taken away uh, from Chark's volume here early. So definitely something to look for. But if he is your flex guy, if you've got a pretty deep wide receiver core, uh, he's not going to make your wide receiver one. He is a solid flex play, especially with all the injuries. There are a lot of, uh, of receivers um, who who are questionable or haven't played in the last few weeks. Uh, and I know uh, Devontae Adams specifically is one of those guys. They've got a bye week. Julio. Julio has popped up on the injury report. Uh, and even Michael Thomas, I believe he's going to play this week. 
But again, it's something to monitor. And DJ Chark's one of those guys that you can plug in uh, and be pretty confident about it if you've got some of these early season holes uh, due to injury or, or whatever circumstance you're facing. And then looking at some of these Jaguars, um, you know, second, third, fourth string receivers, you got LaVisca, you've got Chris Conley, you've got Keelan Cole, who's been consistent if you're looking at from a PPR floor. Uh, are we putting any of these guys in this week? LaVisca is a guy that I personally have on a few of my rosters simply because of how many different ways the offense can use him. He's got a chance to catch quite a few balls. He's going to get a couple chances to break off some runs, and he's going to have multiple ways that he can score touchdowns. So um, I've actually got him in the flex um, in a league this week and and where I'm a little bit uh, riddled by injury. So I think if you are in the same situation, LaVisca is not a bad option to take a look at, especially if you need to stream. Um, We've got a lot of of running backs going out. Um, You know, if you're a guy like me who had Chubb uh, and Eckler, uh, you're in a very bad position. I know that doesn't necessarily affect uh, uh, Chenault, but it's going to give him the ability to to get in there as a flex. And um, I think he definitely has some explosive potential. But again, he's going to be a boomer bust guy. Yeah, he's a high upside flex. He will get you some points. There's not going to be a game, I don't think, where he just does nothing because he's going to get the ball. Uh, it's just to how what extent. And then Keelan Colt, again, he has a floor for you. If you absolutely have to get him in the lineup, he's usually going to get at least four catches, get you 50-something yards, maybe sneak in a touchdown. So decent floor play that could get you, you know, some decent wide receiver two, wide receiver three numbers there. Now, moving on, our final analysis and bold predictions. These two teams, a combined record of one and seven between them. Combined, they've lost seven straight games. I mean, the Jaguars have a good offense against a poor Houston defense. The Texans did do a number on the Jaguars last year, if you remember. Uh, They really got after Gardner Minshew in week one with the sacks, with the pressure, or excuse me, week two of the regular season and Gardner Minshew's first start. And Minshew did almost lead the Jaguars to a win in Houston in that game. Unfortunately, you had a uh, maybe a questionable call on the two-point conversion there. Not to go for it, that was fine. But the play call on that one, not putting it in Gardner Minshew's hands. And then you saw him the game before he got benched last year. Texans in London, they just were all over him. So the Texans do have a blueprint against Gardner Minshew so this certainly won't be an easy one for the Jaguars to win, even though you look at the Texans, they're 0-4, oh, the Jaguars are going to run off of them. I don't think it's that's going to be the case. Uh, I think, like we've said, a lot of times teams that go through this type of adversity like the Texans have, they come out stronger. Uh, will that happen this week, Jeremy? I do think so. And and you know, before I kind of get into this, if we're talking about two-point plays. I cannot believe we didn't touch on that earlier. That was absolute nonsense, but moving on. Uh, Oh, yeah. So (laughs) let's just talk about it real quick. So the Jaguars obviously went for two in the fourth quarter. Uh, We we talked about it a bit. I think it was okay when we we originally talked about it. I was with you that I didn't think it made a lot of sense. Going back, I do think it was okay. I don't think you can – confidently say that if the Jaguars went into overtime with the Bengals that they had a chance to win that game so what do you do you try to win the game in regulation I kind of get it and then looking at the play call the design was not to go to James Robinson 
Jay Gruden confirmed that today. He said that Gardner Minshew saw Robinson, thought he outflanked his man, and thought he had an angle at the end zone. Obviously, that didn't happen. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, now you're getting into the outcome over the thought. And I do not have any problem with Doug Marone looking at the situation and saying, look, we probably can't win a game in overtime. Let's just be honest. This this defense is not playing in a manner that would make me confident enough to put them out there again in overtime. Extended football, you know, they're playing more than they need to. There's just nothing there that, that would make me think that. Besides the fact that we were still down by two scores. If it was a one-score game, if you were down seven and, and you're putting the ball in the end zone and there's not a lot of time left and you want to go for two to try to win it there, that I'm okay with because then what happens? You turn around, you got to stop, and then you can get that three-point potentially to win the game. So I, I don't think that was a good call at all whatsoever. I think if you're planning for that down two scores to where now you did get down the field, you got that three, and now you have to force your team uh, to get two-point conversion if – you scored a touchdown, which obviously didn't happen and wasn't the realm of possibility. I think you just put yourself back. You didn't really make any progress there. Again, if it was to win the game down one score, I would have had no problem with it, just like we saw last year in Houston. Uh, they went for it on two to try to win the game and Gardner's first start. I had no problem with it then. I don't think you would have beaten this team in overtime, but I had a problem with it now. You weren't in a position to put yourself in a chance to win the game, in my opinion. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think it's fair to criticize it. I won't just because I, I kind of get the logic behind it, but I do think it's fair to criticize it. Now let's get into some bold predictions and our final score prediction. Jaguars offense. Uh, I'm going to go with a team stat. I'm thinking 400 yards of total offense in this one. Normally we go through individual stuff, but I just I wanted to focus on this offense. I think they've been so close in so many games. The Texans are not forcing turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. They're not getting a lot of pressure. I think this offense comes out and establishes the run, gets the play action going, and Minshew has one of his games where you just walk out of that game and you're like, man, Minshew's my guy. Because he's had plenty of those throughout his 16 games that he started in his career. 400 yards, huh? That yeah, that that's- so that would be yeah, four hundred yards would be um, what the Chiefs average pretty much. They average a little over four hundred yards. It'd be the best showing this offense has had by far. Um, oh yeah, I think I think there's potential. I I think uh, I don't think that's gonna happen though. I, I don't see it. I it's bold. It's bold. It's very bold. My bold prediction. <laughs> I think it's so bold. And I was just gonna say the Jaguars have one hundred and fifty rushing yards. And I think that's bold. Um, 400. Well, I think every team that's faced the Texans this year has had 150 rushing yards. Well, we got. I mean, we keep they're giving up 189. Yeah, let's keep a, it. a game. Let's keep it going. That it's still bold for this team. You know, we're looking at it again. You're right. It's bold. I, 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 that I like, means what it does mean though is that they committed to the run. Yeah, more than they have been. Yeah, which I like that absolutely because you need to open up, like you said, the play action need to open up some stuff to get the Texans defense off balance. And it all starts with the run. So my bull prediction is going to be 150 yards, uh, you know, from the running game. I think, uh, you know, James Robinson individually is going to have to have at least 125, 130 of those. Um, you're going to get some scrambles from Minshew, maybe some uh, change of pace stuff from Chenault and Chris Thompson. But I want to see them run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I'll say it again, run the ball, go attack that team in their biggest weakness and just take over the game. You know, if you want to see this team win this week, and we'll get into final predictions here in a second, you know, you're going to have to do some things to 
keep the Texans off the field and not allow them to score points a lot like you did in week one. Yeah, and not to one-up you, but for me, for the Jaguars to get 400 yards of total offense, which is what my bold prediction is, I'm looking at a little bit more than 150 yards on the ground. But moving on to the defensive side of the ball, where are you at with your bold prediction? Uh, I don't even know if I can make a bold prediction for this defense. but I mean, you could make a negative prediction. It doesn't have to be positive. Well, if we're going to go out, yeah, this is more likely. I wouldn't do this now, but you brought it up, but... I, this is more likely to be a complete bust game for the Jaguars, and my bold prediction is Deshaun Watson throws for 430 yards and four touchdowns. That'd be my bold prediction. Then, if we're going to go that way, I mean, uh, I just I, I don't I don't see how this defense, given the previous four showings, three in the last three weeks, and and again, besides Phil Rivers making a few bad decisions, he had his way with the defense. I don't see a scenario in which. Deshaun Watson does not absolutely just shred this defense. The only scenario in which I see it in as we get into kind of the overall aspect of the game is if the offense can control the clock. So I'll let you get into your defensive bowl prediction before we go there. Uh, But that's mine. Deshaun Watson, 400 yards, four touchdowns. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, I'm quadrupling down on Josh Allen. All right. He's gotten a sack in each of the last two games. He's getting two sacks in this one. He's going to be going up against Titus Howard, like I mentioned a lot, who has not been playing good football. Deshaun Watson's been holding on to the football for too long. Will he have to hold on to the football too long against this Jaguars secondary? Probably not. But I think there will be enough um, volume there passing-wise for Josh Allen to go get his two sacks finally and kind of get back on track in terms of what we were looking at for him statistically uh, going into this season. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, But, you know, I I just, I just don't see it personally. I mean, you like said, you're quadrupling down at this point and until that they physically show us something different, I can't get behind that. Unfortunately, I love Josh Allen. He needs to be that guy. We haven't seen him be that guy yet. We're, you know, going into week five, so and until we see it at this point, it's just kind of been the worst case scenario for this defense overall. You haven't seen anybody really make any improvements. The only guy that you would really expect to see improvement from, if we're being honest, is Josh Allen, maybe Taven Bryan. Uh, you haven't seen it at all. I feel incredibly fortunate that I actually have that I haven't actually been betting on these because I, I would be in the whole big time with Josh <laughs> Allen. But um, all right, let's go ahead and get it. Final scores. Uh, kick it off for us, Jeremy. Well, this game could go one of two ways. The keys to victory, something I'll talk about a little bit later in the week for the Jaguars, is going to be, like I've said time and time again, run the ball, keep the defense off the field, keep the Texans offense off the field at the same time, control the clock, keep yourself in a position where you're not playing from behind, run the ball effectively, Gardner's got to make smart decisions. The more and more I talk about it, it just it's so many different things that have to go right for this team. I just don't see them all going right. I think that the Jaguars should run the ball effectively. I think they should. They definitely should. And and they will. I think they will, absolutely. And then you're going to have to combine that with perfect execution on the play action, perfect execution down the field with Gardner. You're going to have to have everything kind of go right uh, you know, for this team, especially with the way the defense is playing. And that's a lot to ask from a young team. So I don't see everything going right. I, I see the offense being productive, um, but I do see them playing from behind because you can't keep the defense off the field the entire game. So I see 34-20. Uh, 
Um, I think uh, it's going to be close throughout. I think the offense is going to be able to do enough on the Texans' defense to kind of keep themselves in the game, maybe go into the fourth quarter down one score, 27-20, but I think the Texans are going to go in for a dagger. I think it's 34-20 Texans, and that's your final. Jags fall to 1-4, and four, and uh, the Texans even it out at 1-4 as well. Fair enough. Um, I think that 34-point uh, point total for the Texans that you mentioned – I think that happens if you don't have Miles Jack, Josh Allen, and CJ Henderson. If you've got if you've got those three guys, which I think there's a good chance that they will have them, because Doug Marone felt, you know, fairly confident about it. I think he would be a little bit more on edge about it if he really thought one of those three guys was gonna miss. But I think you get those three guys out there for an extended period of the game. I think you see a much better defensive effort. I still think they give up a lot of yards. But your prediction assumes the defense cannot get back on track. I assume the defense can play a tad bit better, get off the field a tad bit more. Only a couple more times getting off the field is what it would take for this Jaguars team to really be competitive in a fourth quarter down the stretch. I think the Jaguars, if Josh Allen, Miles Jack, and C.J. Henderson play, I think they win 28-24 in Houston. I don't think David Johnson can pop off the same way running away from everyone on the field like Joe Mixon did last week. And I think the run defense will look a little bit better. I think that'll be the difference in the game. The Texans have struggled to keep up with the turnover battle. They're minus five. They haven't been creating any turnovers. I think this is a it's a get-right game for both offenses, in my opinion. But uh I'm just going to bank on the Jaguars defense not being absolutely atrocious for four consecutive games. Is that a smart bet? Probably not, but we'll see. I think you mapped it out perfectly, though. Just like you said, in the Bengals game, too, if you just get one or two more stops than you did, it's a whole different ball game. You know, it, it's, it gives your team a chance to win there at the end because take off seven points, ten points, that you've, you're in a chance, you're in a position to win that ball game. So again, right here, if the defense can just improve a little bit, we're not asking for much. I'm not asking them to be, you know, a top five defense this week. But like you said, if you can just improve a little bit, get the Texans off the field one or two more times than, than you potentially would, I think you're going to put yourself in a good position to win the ball game, especially with the way I think the offense is going to perform. Um, and if you do get your offense an extra one or two drives by getting the Texans offense off the field a little bit extra. Maybe you can get some more points. I think if the Jaguars get to 27, they have a solid chance of winning this game. But, you know, if you don't allow the offense to play their game, if you don't allow them to keep the playbook open, that's where you're going to get in trouble. So you're really banking on whether or not the defense can get one or two extra stops. If they do, then you're right. They've got a great chance of keeping this game close and, and putting a dagger in the Texans. But it's a big if with this defense, and you said it best. If I had to bet on it, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And if any of those three defenders that we've been talking about this whole game misses, I'm going to flip real quick. Uh, they're all I playmakers. Think, they're, it's, they're all playmakers is, is what it really boils down to. Right, and I, I'm not sure. I think C.J. Henderson is the most important. I think he's the third best player out of those three, but I think he's the most important one for this defense. Oh, definitely. Um, because what has been the biggest issue thus far, it's been the DBs. So um, taking you know that guy out is going to be 
probably the toughest thing to overcome. I think if you're missing that one guy, I think miles Jack is going to be a big hole as well. If somehow he doesn't play because he does a lot, he obviously forced that big turnover in Cincinnati where, you know, if he gets one of those off to Sean Watson or maybe baits him into a bad throw, then we're looking at it at this a whole different way, but you're right, man. If, if the best defensive back on your roster is not playing and you already have a very poor uh, back end unit, you're just asking for, for disaster. No doubt about it, man. Well, been a great show. Been a long show. Long Probably show. the longest one by far, right? Yeah, I think so. But uh, it's been enjoyable. You know, we had to talk about a lot since we missed last week. But uh, really appreciate everyone listening. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. Enjoy your football weekend, Duval, and go Jags. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.